Hello and welcome to What The Bump. My name is Jennifer. I am a labor and delivery nurse who oddly enough has no kids, yet a huge passion for informing and empowering women on all of their options surrounding their pregnancy. Join me every week as we dive in to all things prenatal, postnatal, birth, and so much more. So let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of What the Bump. Today we have Michelle Benoit on the podcast. Michelle is a pelvic physical therapist here in Charlotte, North Carolina. She specializes in the pelvic floor, pregnancy, postpartum, and more. So thank you for coming on the podcast, Michelle. I'm really excited. Oh, I'm so excited that you asked me to be on. I really appreciate you having me. So start off, just tell my listeners who you are and basically what you do. Yeah. So like you said, I am a physical therapist. I've been a physical therapist for almost 16 years now. Um, and I've been specializing in pelvic floor, pregnancy, and postpartum for close to 10 years. So um, ever since my oldest was born, and he'll be 10 this year. So I offer in-home mobile PT services at this time. And um, again, I just love working with my pregnancy and postpartum population, essentially trying to help everybody with things that I never knew. Yes. I think that's extremely important. And I think the main, like around pregnancy, there's so much going on with the pelvic floor that people don't even realize as far as, I mean, I don't know the exact, like, I guess like the amount that your uterus grows, but I can imagine that that puts a lot more weight and pressure on your pelvic floor, which is literally stabilizing everything above it. So yeah, I can definitely see that being an area and a, a population that is very much in need of pelvic floor therapy. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. And so, like I was saying, I, I have a almost 10 year old, I have um, a son who will be eight, and then I have one that will be five soon. And when I was pregnant with my first, I really didn't, I didn't know anything. And I had been a physical therapist for probably maybe six years or so. I didn't know any of this stuff. It was kind of a, a very quick one or two um, lectures during PT school. And that was about it when I was there. So there was a lot that I didn't know. And, and, you know, I ended up having a C-section with my first baby and I really ended up at this pelvic, this introduction pelvic floor continuing education course, kind of on a whim. A friend of mine said, Hey, I'm going to take this course. It kind of looks interesting. What do you think? And I thought, yeah, it kind of does look interesting. But even at that time, I really still didn't even know what I was getting myself into. And I decided to go with her and I was just Honestly, I was like, I was blown away about like everything that I learned in that weekend and just that it really hit me how much of our life is affected when our pelvic floor isn't working right. I mean, it it can affect everything. It it can affect your day to day. It can affect, you know, your ability to do the things that you love with the people that you love. It really, truly is like the, the center of our body and our life. So I just, I really, at that first course was blown away by the information. And I thought to myself, everybody needs to know about this. <laughs> yeah, that's great. So can you lay a groundwork and to kind of just describe how the pelvic floor muscles play a role throughout pregnancy, birth and postpartum? Yeah, exactly. Just like you mentioned, right? So the pelvic floor is that group of muscles that sits at the bottom of our bony pelvis. So essentially, if you want to think of it like a sling, and it's attaching our pubic bone in the front to our tailbone in the back, and then also kind of slings out side to side to our ischial tuberosities, or those bones you feel in your butt cheeks when you're sitting down. So your pelvic floor is holding up, it is supporting all of our insides. So it's supporting all of those pelvic organs, your bladder, your uterus, your rectum. It's supporting all of the uh, abdominal organs that are even above that. 
it is in control of our sphincters or all of those, those holes in our pelvis that open to the outside, right? So it's in charge of um, the urethra, the vagina, the anus, kind of keeping those tubes closed off when we don't want things to be leaking out. And then also they're relaxing and allowing those tubes to open up when we do want to empty them out. The pelvic floor plays a role in stabilizing the pelvis, right? So the pelvis is a is is several bones that are all that are all kind of joined together through the muscles and ligaments and connective tissue. Um, it helps with supporting our our spine, so the lumbar and thoracic spine, um, and it it really works with the other muscles of the core. So think about your all of your abdominal wall muscles right? All of your back muscles and um, your diaphragm. So your, your muscle that helps you breathe. That's really like, that is the middle of us. That's our core. So the diaphragm, abdominal wall muscles, pelvic floor muscles, and then the muscles that zip up our spine. And those muscles together, that core is in charge of controlling pressure. So you mentioned a growing uterus, right? So our body's always taking in pressure. It's always, it's always having to deal with pressure because we, we live on earth. We have gravity here. And so gravity is always kind of exerting a force on our body, right? A force that kind of pushes us down. Um, and so the core together, they kind of help to counterbalance that pressure of gravity and different things increase pressure, right? So having a uterus that's growing, holding a baby inside of your body, um, we, when you, when you're pregnant, right, our blood volume increases, we have more fluid in our body kind of rolling around. Uh, all of those things are going to change the pressure demands on the body. And so ultimately the pressure demand on your pelvic floor is going to change throughout pregnancy as well, right? The, there's going to be more demand as fluid increases in your body, as that baby grows and gets bigger, as your, um, abdominal wall muscles kind of um, separate apart from each other, right? Because we need that to happen to grow a baby. So the function of the abdominal wall changes, which then puts a little bit more work through the pelvic floor, for example. So those are just kind of some of the ways that the pelvic floor is affected in pregnancy. Yeah, it definitely sounds like it does a very, <laughs> a lot of things, you know? Right? I know. It's hard to summarize into just like a couple things because I mean, it's exactly like you said, so many things, it, it literally essentially makes up a huge part of your core and our core mm -hmm. regulates a whole lot of us. Yeah. So it, I mean, it totally makes sense that it can honestly be related to so many things, yeah. especially throughout pregnancy and postpartum because of that shifting that is all happening in your core yeah. from a growing uterus and having a baby. So I know when it comes to pelvic floor dysfunction, what are some of the signs and symptoms that you see? I know you said it controls a lot of like the sphincters. Mm -hmm. So I already know so many pregnant women say like they do anything and they pee. I'm yeah. assuming that is a huge sign of pelvic floor dysfunction that you probably see a lot, but what are some other yeah. signs of pelvic floor dysfunction that people should watch out for throughout right. pregnancy postpartum? So that you're, that urine leaking, like you mentioned, or not being able to hold back stool or gas, right? Cause that would be a dysfunction in those anal sphincters. Um, heaviness, pressure, or pain in the pelvis, painful intercourse, um, other urinary issues like frequency, urgency. So when you have a sudden urge and you really, you, you've got to get to the bathroom or sometimes um, women will have a sudden urge and they don't, they can't even control it. They'll, they'll leak. So they call that urge incontinence. 
Same thing can happen with stool. So you can have those that fecal urgency or with both the bladder and the bowel, you can have um, reports of like incomplete emptying or straining to empty, um, frequent emptying. Uh, let's say we said, we said pressure, we said heaviness, low back pain, abdominal pain, our spinal nerves, they, as they exit the spine, they, they come and they course through the pelvis, through the pelvic musculature, um, through and around the, the, the ligaments and the connective tissue and things like that. So there's a lot that goes on in a small space that can have a lot of symptoms associated with it. So when it comes to preventing pelvic floor dysfunction, what are some things that we can do to prepare, prepare our core and our pelvic floor throughout pregnancy and especially prepare it for childbirth? I think the best place that anybody can start in, you know, pregnant women, um, younger women who are athletic or maybe working out, um, women who, you know, are done, they've had their babies and they had their babies 20 years ago. So I think the best place any and all of us can start with is with shifting our focus inside of our body and kind of learning how to feel what's going on inside of those areas of our core, learning to feel what, what does it feel like as your breath moves in your body? What does it feel like in the rib cage? Can you feel your rib cage moving? So starting at the breath, I guess is what I'm trying to say is probably the best place for all of us to start. Um, we meant, I mentioned that the diaphragm is part of the core, the core four. And that means that our breath plays a role in how well all of the other components of that core four work. So the, the most, the most optimal thing that we are looking for is we're looking for the ability to take a breath that expands the rib cage expansion through the abdominal wall, and then also some expansion through the pelvic floor on the bottom. So a lot of us, right, who either we are just very tense or certainly in pregnancy as that baby grows and that baby gets bigger and that baby's taking up more space in your torso that you can't take as deep of a breath. Your diaphragm doesn't have a whole lot of room to move. And so we get used to taking these either chest breaths, right? Those shorter, those shallower breaths. Um, and that kind of becomes our normal. And so what we lose is we lose the expansion through the rest of the core muscles. And with that, we lose their ability to kind of recoil back and, and provide some, in, some support or some engagement of those muscles on their recoil back can you, are you able to, whether you put a hand on your rib cage or you put your hands on your belly, or you just, you just tell your brain, I want you to pay attention to the rib cage right now. I want you to pay attention to my tailbone as I'm breathing. Um, and, and just start to feel where that breath is moving and see if you can feel the expansion in your body on inhale, and then the recoiling back or the emptying on the exhale. So really just getting more and being quiet with our, with our bodies. I think that's super hard. That, that is often one of the hardest things because it's, it's easier to do a movement or do an exercise. It's easier to get our bodies to move and do something than it is to take a, take five minutes or 10 minutes to just feel where, where our breath is moving and to be really quiet with ourselves. Yeah, I totally agree. I've heard a lot about that, like diaphragmic breathing, where you really focus on like putting your hands on your ribs and trying to actually mm -hmm. feel your breath and feel your ribs expand. 
And I feel like people, when they think pelvic floor and they think, how can I strengthen my pelvic floor? What's the first thing people think to do? Kegels. Kegels. It is. People it's strength, think, right? Kegels. Strength. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like you said, being quiet and like still yeah. with our bodies and paying attention. That's the hard part. Like just saying, oh, just do some Kegels, you know, tighten that pelvic floor, stop right. your urine midstream. So much easier for us to do because it's like working the muscle literally. Right. Cause we're like, we feel like we're doing something yes. right. And so the continuation off of the feeling your breath and, and feeling what moves is starting to starting to work on coordinating all of the, all of the movements of these muscles. So mm -hmm. we'll take the pelvic floor because we mentioned Kegels, right? So a Kegel is a, is a pelvic floor muscle contraction and when muscles contract, they shorten. So in the case of the pelvic floor, when we do a Kegel or a muscle contraction, that pelvic floor lifts. So it lifts from its resting spot and it pulls up into the pelvis, you know, with a Kegel or the contraction, that's also what is going to kind of clamp down on the anal sphincter and the urethral sphincter and kind of provide some pressure support. That's great. That, but, but that's only like one third of what the pelvic floor muscles need to be able to do. So once, once you're contracted or once those muscles have shortened, we need to be able to voluntarily release them and, just, and kind of release that tension out of them. So that's a second third. And then the third part of what they need to be able to do is the muscles need to be able to stretch. They have to stretch out, they have to lengthen. And functionally, when the muscles stretch out, it's something like being able to pee, being able to urinate easily without feeling like you have to strain, um, being able to fully empty your bladder. So a lot of times we'll hear um, complaints about, you know, I, I'm just, I'm peeing all the time and I'll go. And then like five minutes later, I have to pee again. Well, that's because you're not emptying all the way. And it's likely because those muscles aren't relaxing and they're not kind of stretching out enough to open the urethra. The next is so when you mentioned what can people do really to prepare before they get pregnant, or even this is, you can even start working on this when you're pregnant is really just starting to train all of those movements of the pelvic floor, being able to contract or Kegel. But once you, once you've contracted, being able to tell your muscles, okay, release. And then also being able to tell your muscles, I want you to stretch out a little bit. And, you know, from a cueing standpoint, it's basically like trying to start a bowel movement, right? You sit on the toilet, you kind of bear down just a little bit. Um, there are more effective ways and less effective ways to, to kind of do that. But being able to have kind of that full range of motion of your pelvic floor muscles is, is really important and, and it will serve you well throughout pregnancy yeah. because, you know, muscles that are very stiff and tense, they don't do a very good job, you know? So as, as the demand increases on your pelvic floor, if you have a, a stiff and tense pelvic floor, it's probably not going to handle that demand very well. And then, you know, culmination of pregnancy, right? So when you want to birth that baby through the vaginal canal, right? We mentioned all of these muscles also surround the vagina. So if they're very tight and tense and stiff, because all you've done is trained them to be tight, tense, and stiff. Right. Then when we need them to really release and lengthen and dilate and open up, they're not going to know what to do. Right. So 
having that full on um, that full control of all of the, all of the things is, is one of the best things that, that you can do. Yeah. And I, I listened to a podcast probably quite a while ago and it was relating to like pregnancy and pelvic floor and everything. And one of the girls on it actually said, not that like Kegels are harmful when you are pregnant, but she said that a lot of people have this like misconception where they think like, oh, I'm pregnant. I need to start working on my pelvic floor. So all they do is practice Kegels. And it's kind of like you said, they probably aren't getting that full range of motion of complete relaxation. And then the stretching at the end, and it can actually almost make labor a little bit harder because now all you can yeah. do is training, tightening, and tensing up your pelvic core yep. or your pelvic floor. And it can kind of, like you said, it, it doesn't help you relax and stretch and dilate and open really. Right. Yeah. It's again, is all, all of the part, all of the things are important, right. Yeah. And you know, you cannot have as strong and powerful of a pelvic floor or any muscle in your body for that matter if the muscle is always in a shortened position and has trouble moving through its full range of motion. Right. Yeah. That's just, you know, there, there's, there's a certain length, right. And, and we talk about, um, in physical therapy and in exercise science, there's a length to tension relationship. Right. So there's, a, there's a total sweet Goldilocks spot in the middle where, um, you know, where there is an optimal length to generate for the muscle to generate the most tension. Yeah. So if the muscle is too short, it cannot generate as much tension. If the muscle is over, over, over um, stretched or over lengthened also can't generate as much. So we're kind of trying to hit that sweet spot in the middle. And we can just do that by learning how to really control all of those things, the shortening, the releasing and the lengthening. And it's so much harder. Like it's so much easier when you think about like contracting and releasing and lengthening a muscle when you're thinking about like your bicep, it's yeah. so easy. But then if you think like trying to then take, it can almost help to think about it that way, it, at least for me to think about that, like doing it just to my bicep, cause that's very visual mm -hmm. and then translate that like into my pelvic floor, because I can't see my pelvic floor. Like I can't yeah. watch it. It's hard to know if you're doing it right, but thinking about like just doing it to your bicep, I don't know, for some reason that like kind of helps me visualize, I guess. I think, I mean, visualization is so, is so powerful. Yeah. And so what a lot of times the visual that I'll use with my clients is to think about your pelvic floor, like it's an elevator, right. Mm -hmm. And think, and so when you are just, you're, you're hanging out, you're sitting at rest, your elevator is on the ground floor. Okay. And if you think about kind of your bony pelvis as like a five-story building, as you start to perform your Kegel and you kind of Kegel and you're, and you're telling your muscles to do squeeze or lift, lift, lift. You can you kind of visualize your elevator um, drawing up towards the top of that building. And then the release being visualizing that elevator coming back down to the floor. Yeah. yeah that's then, right. And then to, and then with, with a gentle bearing down or that gentle bulging, it's kind of like, okay, send your elevators now just to the basement. Yeah. Right. So there's, we're just going down one floor. It's a small, you know, it's a slight bulge. Um, but sometimes because you know, you can't see it, you can't see right. pelvic floor muscles and that that's what makes this the hardest is it's very abstract. So whatever visual works and we can try a whole bunch of them, right. But kind of whatever clicks with each person, you're like, yes, go with that. Because <laughs> visualization is one of the best ways to really connect to your pelvic floor muscles. I bet so many people right now are, I, are I, you're talking to you. And I'm like, when you explained the elevator thing, I for sure was like doing it myself. I bet everybody right now is doing Kegels. I don't care 
who you are, where you're listening, you know, you just did a Kegel as she talked about the elevator. You know, to be honest with you, there's a lot of times when I'm explaining it that I like my body's right again, imagery, like what image are you putting through your brain at the time? So there's a lot of times where I'm like, okay, you need to stop. (laughs) Your body's been doing this all day. So we kind of a little bit led into this next question, but is there any specific preparation we can do as far as pelvic floor, if we're wanting to have a natural unmedicated birth or even things that we can do to like try to speed up a, a birth. If, um, I know probably relaxation of your pelvic floor is a huge piece of that. It is. And so if you, if you're looking for more of a natural birth, the first thing, this is not like PT related, but I would highly, highly recommend finding either a midwife or a doula who offers like a natural childbirth class, because I will tell you, you know, my midwife friend here in Charlotte, she and I did a workshop together and I swear I learned more in our workshop together. It was like kind of a combination of like her childbirth class and, and some pelvic floor stuff. And I, you know, I already had all three of my kids, three C-sections later. And I was just like, my jaw was on the ground. And I was like, I didn't know any of this. Like no one tells you this. And, and not to say like, obviously hospitals offer their childbirth class, but you know, if you want, if you want more information, I I'm a big fan of the more educated that you are, the better do them both, honestly, because they, they offer different things. So if you're really, really looking for like that, that natural, that unmedicated, definitely complement like your hospital childbirth class with something from a doula or a midwife, you know, what, what I learned were, were just different, different things about the when the baby engages, where, how the baby comes down through the birth canal, um, what turns the baby makes and with each turn and with each station, where you, where might you feel something in your body? And I didn't know any of that. I mean, I'm still, I'm no expert, but I just, you know, I remember just thinking to myself, wow, this, this is amazingly helpful information for women to be empowered during their labor and in the birthing process, because if, if you're experiencing pain and you don't know what, you know, and you're not, you don't know what's going on and you're not really super educated about it, of course, fear is going to kick in, you know? And, and if you have, if you have some knowledge, not that it's necessarily going to make that like pain feel any better per se, but arming yourself with, with the knowledge of, okay, I get it. I understand what I'm experiencing like this pain and generally this position, I kind of know what's going on in there. It, it just, it makes your ability to kind of tolerate and, and deal and like continue on, you know, cause you, cause you know, what's going, you know, a little bit better what's going on. So I would definitely say that is, would be really, really helpful. And then, you know, just like we were mentioning being, spend some time in your own body, have your, have your mind spend time in your own body and just feeling what you feel without placing any kind of judgment on it. It just, you know, just notice what you feel and then being able to, you know, if if you kind of connect to your pelvic floor or even the abdominal wall, you know, and, and if you have the ability to really kind of just let your, let your body go a little bit, there's a lot of the birthing process that happens by uh, reflexes, 
and kind of communication between like the baby and your body and your, your brain and your uterus. And so there's a lot of things that are going on that are not of your voluntary control. So, you know, even just, even just allowing yourself or kind of getting used to allowing your body to be, and, and maybe not trying to force and make things go on and make things happen and just kind of believe and, and trust in the process. The, the birthing process that our bodies were designed for. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's all really good. I think that, like you said, a huge thing of it is like fear almost, especially throughout labor. And what does fear do? It tenses you up and it, yeah. it, it really does. And shameless plug for doulas like myself. That's like <laughs> one of the best parts of having a doula is you have somebody there for constant education and affirmation. And even throughout your pregnancy learning, like you said, doing a childbirth education course, especially one, maybe that's geared towards unmedicated birth. If that's what you want. Mm-hmm. can help a lot because it's really education can remove so much fear when it comes to labor and delivery and birth. And I think I'm like so much for childbirth education because I think that it's, there's just so much that goes into it and so much that people don't know. And just taking away that fear will really help your body even to relax and to expand and open. Yeah. I mean, people who are tense throughout labor, especially who are trying, that's why people always say like throughout labor, just breathe and relax. And people hate hearing that when they're in labor because they're <laughs> your first, your first response to contractions is to tense up. And like, I'll have patients who are like ripping the bed rails off of the bed. And I'm like, you release your fists, like release your forehead. Cause the forehead's tense. Their hands are so tightly gripped or the chin down to the chest. Yes. Yeah. Release that, open that throat. Yeah. And it's just just like you said, just like being able to do that and to have control over that, even just releasing your forehead and your grip releases other areas. It releases your pelvic mm-hmm. floor and it just helps your body not tense up through those. And a lot of that is, is the education of just knowing. And I don't know something about educating yourself around childbirth. It truly does like take the fear out of contractions and what's happening to you because it's not, it's no longer just like happening to yes, you right. know what's happening and it's happening for you. And it's happening for a purpose of birthing your baby. Whereas a lot of people who might just kind of might just not prepare too much for, for birth. The contractions are happening to them. Mm -hmm. And it's such a mindset thing. Pain is such a mindset fear thing. And you, I, I mean, I truly think you can remove a lot of physical pain with just changing your mindset and knowing what's happening. Yeah, no, you, that, that is absolutely true. And I think, you know, I think there's plenty of research too, to demonstrate that there's, there's a lot of research on, you know, another part of the, the breathing thing is that breathing and just the movement that it creates in the body and also kind of the, the massaging that it does to the vagus nerve, it, it helps with, it helps with relaxation. Uh, you, you know, you mentioned like all of the, the fist gripping or the, the grimacing in the face. And you know, I kind of mentioned like the chin tightening. So there's a direct connection between your throat or your glottis and your pelvic floor mm-hmm. as well. So when you have a lot of tension and tightness up in the chest, up in the, the upper shoulders, that can, that can kind of play into tightness in the pelvic floor. So even things like having like an open mouth, open breathing, um, humming or, or a low toned type of in, instead, instead of like yelling at a higher pitch or kind of that, you know, like the, like the movie scene type, like laboring, that kind of thing. But, um, instead more of that, like that back of the throat yoga breathing type of stuff that can actually help too, because it's the, those lower frequency, um, sounds 
help your nervous system to relax. If your nervous system relaxes, that's what helps your muscles relax. So there's that, right. There's a lot of play in uh, between all of these different systems in our, in our body. And, you know, I hear sometimes women say like, I, I had, you know, I had to push for four hours or things like that. And, you know, when you kind of know a little bit more of the natural childbirth type of things and in the philosophies there, women really shouldn't have to push for four hours. Right, right. You know, there's there's the fetal ejection reflex that your uterus helps your, you know, your uterus again, it's built like it's built to grow babies and to get them out of your body. Um, so it always breaks my heart when I hear that the, you know, women have had to push for multiple hours, often lying on their back. Um, and then often, you know, they, they'll have some kind of birth injury, you know, whether that's second, third, maybe even unfortunately fourth degree tears or fractured tailbones, or there was the, you know, the shoulder dystocia with the baby or something like that. So yeah, it, it sounds, it sounds crazy, but if you kind of go, go into knowing the why between trying to keep yourself as, as relaxed as possible, having those support people around you who can just really kind of try and keep you grounded. And like you said, the affirmations and just remind, remind the woman that, you know, you can do this. This is in, this is inside of you and you can absolutely do this. Yeah. And I always tell my patients how you mentioned like the glottis. I always say, my patients who are going for a natural and medicated birth and who are very vocal patients or clients, if it's, if I'm doing doula work or a nurse at the hospital, depends on which one, but yeah. I always say like, let's change those high pitch. Cause mm-hmm. like, let's change those high pitch screams to low tone moans. Mm-hmm. It's what I try to like redirect them to, because you're right. The glottis is totally related to the pelvic floor. So trying to just change your pitch even is, can really do you a lot of help. And by the way, we're not like shaming anybody who no. five hours or gets epidural mm-hmm. and have a medicated birth. This question that was no. submitted just simply asked how to yeah. prepare for, to prepare for a natural and medicated birth. So listen, I have three C-sections, so there's yeah. no shaming anywhere, exactly. yeah. <laughs> anywhere at all. Any, any birth you have, that's totally like, it doesn't matter. It's how you birth yeah. your baby, but for sure. that question was just geared towards natural and medicated. So yeah. just a caveat there. Um, <laughs> so the next question says, I have heard a lot about learning to engage your TVA to prevent abdominal coning. Mm-hmm. How do I do this? Yeah. Okay. So the TVA, the transverse abdominus, that is the abdominal wall muscle that is the deepest inside the body. So if we go from furthest to the inside, we have the transverse abdominus, the internal obliques, the external obliques, and then you have the rectus abdominis, and that's your six pack muscles that are close to the outside of your body. Along with all of the muscles that are in the abdominal wall, there's a whole bunch of connective tissue as well. And so the abdominal coning, that, that's talking about the linea alba or the connective tissue that runs down the middle of the, the rectus abdominis. And so this has gotten a lot of attention, I would say definitely in the, like the last three to five years, as people start learning more about it. And as women are trying to have, have these like fit pregnancies and really do like a lot of high intensity, whether it's like weightlifting type stuff or even um, like hit training and things like that. So the coning is when you notice the headline of your abdominal wall, when you do something, say you do, say you do a sit up or you are jumping and you, and you happen to see that that midline kind of puffs out a little bit. So this is what that, that one's talking about. The TVA can help with that because the, the TVA, it has fibers that really, that run the length of your, the length of your abdominal wall. 
So it, it runs from your pubic bone at the bottom and it actually runs all the way up and it connects in with the diaphragm. And with it being the deepest abdominal wall muscle and it kind of sits, it sits lateral, right? So, so it sits lateral. And so when, when the TVA contracts, remember contraction is when muscles shorten. So when that muscle contracts, it tensions through the midline connective tissue. So it tensions the connective tissue um, at the linea alba. And tension in the connective tissue, or kind of getting that tissue to be nice and taut, it, that helps you hold that pressure. So engaging the TVA, ideally it starts down low, the lower fibers towards the pubic bone. And what that looks like is it looks like the, the abdominal wall draws in from front to back, okay? So starting at your pubic bone, if you kind of think about pulling your belly in and narrowing your body from front to back, that is what contracting the TVA is. And as that muscle contracts, you're, you're going to feel the muscle contraction climb from your pubic bone kind of up through the front of your abdominal wall, all the way up to kind of your sternum, if you have it kind of drawn in all the way. But that performing that, getting that muscle to engage helps to tension the connective tissues down the midline. And then say you were going to perform your sit up then your, your abdominal wall. Now it has, is, is tensioned in a way that it can hold back the pressure you're about to put into it. So yeah, that, that, that's that, kind of how that works. Yeah. And I've heard people describe it like trying to engage your TVA, like trying to zip up a jacket almost. Yeah. Like that's yep. a good way to kind of visualize it. I won't lie. I've tried so many times and it's hard. It's hard to do hard. It is. Cause it's, it's an internal thing and it's kind of hard to know if you're doing right, but the, the coning is very visible. Like you can literally yeah. visibly see almost a bulge running down the middle of your stomach when you try to do like, and honestly, any ab workout. Yep. Abs, abs a lot. Um, we'll see it a lot of times in some, some more of those Olympic lift type things. Like if you're, if you're going to snatch, if you're going to clean, right. Something where you're moving a load and you're moving it fast because what's happening is that your core, that those core four, their abdominal wall is, is really trying to become stiff because we need a stiff canister in order for our body to move. So in order to lift a weight with our arms or to, you know, to squat or return from a squat, we've got to be stiff in the middle. Cause if we weren't, then we're crumpled in the middle right. and, and it's hard to move load from, you know, a, a not stable surface really. Sometimes when it's, when it's hard to do, we can, we can kind of manipulate the difficulty of engaging the TA depending on the position that you're in. So when you're standing up, right, we go back to gravity. When you're standing up and you don't have anything supporting you, your body's doing all of the work to hold you up against gravity. So that's kind of where it's going to be the hardest to do. Right. If you sit down, you might be able to do a little bit better because you, the chair's kind of giving you some support. You don't have as much work on your body. For some people, even sitting is still really hard to do. And so for, for some people, we'll go ahead and put you down and sideline. So if you're lying on your side, now gravity isn't acting on, on your body anymore. And so sometimes it's a lot easier to do it there. And it, just like in the pelvic floor, you, you find where you are able to engage and kind of get that zip up type of narrowing front to back. And you start from there and then, and then, you, you, then you challenge the abdominal wall. So if, if it was, for example, if, you, if we figured out 
that sidelining is the best position for you, then we would start playing with what are we asking the TVA or the rest of the abdominal wall to do in sideline. It might just be fully that full range of motion draw in. How far back can we, how far can we get yourself narrowed front to back? And then once you get through that full range of motion, can you hold it? Can you hold it there for three seconds? Can you hold it there for 10 seconds? Now, can we play with it a little bit? Can you, can you draw it in all the way and then release it a little and then draw it in again? So a lot of that coordination stuff and, and you just, you increase the, the demand, you increase what you're asking the abdominal wall to do as you're able to do it, right? So you start so you, with foundation and then you, and then you just increase the demand from there. Yeah. That makes sense. You more so like learn how to properly. And I always like, like I said, I don't know exactly how to do engage my TVA the best, but it's something I've definitely been working on over the past few weeks. And I think it's just really important, honestly, especially for people who are into fitness. I think so many people do not do this correctly. And you, you just have to take it back to the basic groundworks. Like you said, yeah. laying on your side, trying to draw in and then challenging a little bit more, maybe going in and out, maybe then trying on your back yep. and then trying to incorporate it into ab exercises. And I will tell you, I've tried to like keep my TVA activated throughout an ab exercise that like I normally would do, let's say like leg lifts. And the minute I start to see the coning and I can tell I'm losing it, I will stop. Yeah. And I'm only at the point of like getting my legs, like from being straight up, like two inches down. I can't go semi even halfway all the way down, but yeah. like you said, it's the basics. It's learning how yeah. to, and I'll slowly just keep progressing, like learning how to try to just do a leg lift with my TVA engaged the whole time. Yeah. And you can just keep challenging it and trying to do further and further. And hopefully one day get, be able to engage throughout all your ab workouts and in normal lifts too, you know, you know, there's a lot of our, your body. If you want to do leg lifts, your body's going to figure out a way to make that happen. Right. Mm -hmm it might find its stability through um, hyperextension in your low back, right? So when, when someone's back, if you're doing a supine ab exercise, for example, when someone, when you notice someone's back all of a sudden pops up from the floor, it's because, it's because their body isn't getting um, the stability from the, yeah, from the, from the muscles and the connective tissue. Now the stability just went on to the, the joints in your lumbar spine, for example. So a lot of times we'll hear like, oh, this was, this used to be so easy for me. I could always, I could always do it. And, you know, just experience and working with people, I would challenge and I would say, I, you know, there's a good chance that if, if you were being instructed to do it, like I'm asking you to do now, that it probably would have been difficult beforehand too. It's just that, at the time, you didn't have to think about the movement pattern. You just said, I want to do scissor kicks or I want to do V-ups and you were doing it, but you didn't realize as you were doing it that, you know, your entire abdominal wall was like this huge dome and that you had all this pressure dumping down through your pelvic floor, yeah. right? So you knew you were just doing it um, to, to get through the movement. Right. Yeah. And just, just like your body, like you said, your body will compensate and find other ways to do an exercise. If you, if you tell it to, you know, yeah. if you want to do scissor kicks, you're going to do scissor we'll kicks, do but your, your abs are probably not even getting the primary work because you, you're probably not engaging your TVA correctly. So like you said, your right. lower back and your pelvic floor and they're right. taking all the hit from it. Right. And then, and then that's just going to be like a straw that breaks the camel's back thing. Right. That that's the person that, that says, all I was doing was taking the, the clothes out of the dryer and I threw out my back. Yeah. You know, it was like that, that was just the straw that broke the back. It was just like all of the demand and the, the training and things like that, that led up to it. Yeah. But speaking of that, how can people ease back and pelvic pain throughout pregnancy? If that's what something that they're struggling with. Yeah. Um, so the first thing is that we want to look at kind of 
what, what's the load, what's the demand that you're putting on your body, right? Um, it, it may be a case where you're used to working out, whatever you're doing, you're used to working out five days a week. Well, it might be the case at whatever point in your pregnancy that you just need to decrease that, that volume of training. So, you know, maybe if you decrease it down to three days a week, it's more tolerable for your body and everything clears itself up. Maybe it's a case where you might benefit from a support. So there's, there's really two different kinds of supports that, that women like a lot. And one, if you have like pubic symphysis pain, so kind of the, the front of the pelvis where the two sides of the, uh, the pelvic bones come together, as you get on later in pregnancy, that area might start to hurt. Or sometimes it's, it's the backside, right? Along the sacrum where you might feel pain. So there's, there's um, sacroiliac joint belts and they're kind of the same width as like your jeans, like a belt you would wear with your jeans, but you just wear them low on your pelvis. And what it helps to do is it just helps to kind of compress everything together so that as the ligaments start softening throughout pregnancy and kind of getting towards the, the third trimester and things like that, it's just like an external support for what the ligaments normally would do. So there's that support. And there's also, um, more like a mother to be support. And those are the ones that kind of strap around your pregnant belly, kind of coming up from underneath. Sometimes they'll have almost like the suspender kind of straps with them too. So those are two nice options. Um, working on utilizing the TVA brace with certain movements that can help a lot. You know, a lot of times it, you get into those transitional movements, like, oh, my back hurts every time that I stand up from the chair or I turn over in bed. So just kind of retraining some movements can be really helpful. And sometimes kinesio taping can even help. So uh, kind of the tape that you see like a lot of athletes use, it can be used in a multitude of ways. It's pretty easy to apply. And um, it, can, it can be used for all of those things like the pubic symphysis pain, SI pain, just um, general kind of support in the belly. And then things like sleeping, you know, sleeping is usually something that gets pretty uncomfortable. I personally love the pregnancy pillows. Like you can find them on Amazon. I think that they're amazing. You know, anything that you can do to just kind of provide like some support between your knees, for example, as you're sleeping on your side, just to kind of keep your pelvis level and to not have a lot of pulling on, you know, that, that top um, lateral hip. And I, those are probably some of the biggies. Definitely body work. Sometimes body work can be really, really helpful. Chiropractic probably release, too. Chiropractic. Yep. Yep. Yeah. There are some, we're pretty lucky in Charlotte. There's some really wonderful chiropractors and body workers Yes, for here. Sure. So for who specialize in working with pregnant women. Yeah. And I like how you said the, the thing about like toning down exercise, if you have to, I know yeah. I'm sure everybody, you know, somewhat modifies their exercise once they become pregnant, especially once you get, you know, later on into your pregnancy. But I, I think a lot of people just forget about the fact of how much your like balance even just shifts yeah. when you are pregnant. Cause I mean, think about how much more weight now you have right out in front of you yeah. and not even just to mention your belly, but heck your boobs probably too. So right. the balance shifts yeah. that we get that can affect exercise so much. And it can be frustrating, you know, not being able to keep up with your normal exercise routine and having all this pain that you've never dealt with before. 
if you're a really athletic person, that can be frustrating, but toning back exercise, I think can definitely help for a ton of people and all the other things you said too. I mean, the, the binding, if you have to do it, the body work, chiropractics and pelvic floor therapy. Yeah. We can help too. Yeah. For all those things. Floor and to support your uterus and your pregnancy. I'm sure that that can be even like prophylactically done in the beginning of your pregnancy to prevent those complications further down the road. Yeah. Uh, It's definitely hard. Um, modifying exercise routines, you know, because your brain is like, yeah, totally. I can do this. Like I've been doing this forever. I've, you know, in, in, in all fairness, there's the advice is not good, right? The advice, it tends to be one of two extremes. It tends to either be, don't do anything, you know, don't lift over 10 pounds and don't get your heart rate up. Don't get out of, don't get out of breath or it, or it goes to, you can do everything that you've been doing, Mm -hmm. which I mean, that's kind of a blanket statement because you might have someone who, you know, right, you know, uses the Peloton a couple of times a week. Yeah, you would probably, you know, still do that for a really long time into your pregnancy. Yeah. But you might have someone who's powerlifting. Right. And they might still be able to move the loads that they were moving before. But what are the what are those considerations on the on the abdominal wall and on the pelvic floor, kind of in the long term? You know, so if we make these short-term changes for weeks or months, that might, that might prevent some things down the road, such as like incontinence, prolapse, those type of things. Um, and it might also just allow your body the, the space that it needs to change, right? Because sometimes we, sometimes we're so like mentally locked into, I'm not, I'm, I know I'm pregnant, but this isn't going to, this isn't going to change my exercise routine. This isn't going to change X, Y, and Z, you know? And so we get mentally locked into it and it's, we're kind of doing it to prove a point when it might be more beneficial to flow with the seasons that we're going through and make those changes. And then in the long run, kind of feel better. We don't have to deal with like a lot of the rehab stuff and we can get back into it. Yeah. Yeah. And it, you know, it's short term. This isn't, it's not like, you know, modify it and take it easy for even your whole pregnancy. It's mainly more so like that third trimester area when you're, when your weight is and your balance is just so shifted and so different, and you're so much more likely to have that back pain and pelvic pain. And while we're on the topic of exercise, Mm -hmm. I have heard like a lot of debates about squatting when you're pregnant, especially I'm sure like this is more pertaining to further along in pregnancy when your belly is a lot bigger, but is squatting safe during pregnancy? I've heard some people refer to it as like that. They don't want you to squat with your, I think it's your feet wider than like shoulder width with that. It's like bad during pregnancy or bad for your pelvic floor. What do you think about that? So the wide, so the wider that your feet are, the more, the, the more that your pelvic floor is going to be responsible for kind of supporting the pressure coming down through the middle. Right. Right about that wider, wider stance. We've got more pressure probably coming down through the middle. Um, and also squatting like that also lengthens your pelvic floor. I, you know, do I think something is, is safe, not safe. It, it all comes back down. It all comes down to why, why are you, why are we doing it? Like, what's the, what is the goal of it? You know, what are we, what are we trying to accomplish? And is, and then again, from like a season standpoint, is it necessary? How does it feel? How does your body feel? Yeah. You know, if, if you're dealing with like pubic symphysis pain or even SI pain, 
you're probably not going to be super comfortable either, you know, squatting with a very wide stance. You're going to be more comfortable just kind of keeping yourself stacked, for example. So there's just, there's a lot of, there are a lot of considerations and I wouldn't say that it's a blanket. Don't ever do it. It's, it's super dangerous. You know, there's, if during labor, you, you might want to, in order to kind of open the the inlet, so the top part of the pelvis, you might want to squat and, and kind of squat wide. Um, so it just depends on why are you doing it? What, what are you looking to gain from it? How does your body feel when you do it? You know, if you, if you're feeling a ton of pressure, you know, through your pelvis, through the vagina, and I mean, it's just not necessary. You know, yeah, I agree. I think it's very individualized. Like if squatting feels good to you and you know, you can handle it and you don't feel pain with it, then that's fine. But I, I like how you mentioned, and I tell myself this too, like, what is your motivation for working out during pregnancy? Because pregnancy is not a time to be like, Oh, I'm going to gain all this muscle. I'm yeah, going right. to, I'm going to PR on my squats. Yeah, like, no, fine. you have so much time outside of pregnancy to do those things that it's a season and you really have to motive. You really have to ask yourself, like, am I doing this for longevity and just overall yeah. like health and wellness and just staying healthy throughout my pregnancy? Or, you know, do I have a motivation that's more so like yeah. trying to get in the gym and kill yourself, you know, and right. you know, outside of pregnancy, that's fine. PR gain muscle, lose weight, go like kill yourself in the All gym. The things. Yeah. Yeah. But maybe in pregnancy, change your motivation a little bit. Right. Look, yeah. Just look for like supporting, supporting your movements, you know, keeping some cardiovascular health, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, it's, it's, it's really just not in, not in, a, not the time to really try and push yourself and because, yourself, yeah. you know, mention like prolapse down the line. So it's really hard to say if a woman will end up with some sort of pelvic organ prolapse, won't end up with some sort of pelvic organ prolapse, but along with that, there are some, there are some things in the, in the research that correlate with pelvic organ prolapse. So for example, um, repetitive heavy lifting. So whether that is from an exercise program or from your job, for example, we know that that does correlate with women having pelvic organ prolapse, um, as your, as your weight increases there's a correlation. Um, people or women who have breathing difficulties or coughing a lot, you know, chronic bronchitis and things like that. Again, it's just, so things that come down to repetitive, chronic downward pressure on your pelvic floor will put you more at risk for pelvic organ prolapse. You know, so if we're during pregnancy and we're trying to move these, these loads, of, you know, whatever weight we're weightlifting, um, or Olympic lifting, and we're trying to move these loads and we're trying to move them fast, but maybe we don't have the best either postural strategy because just all of the postural changes, or we don't have the best breath strategy because we're really not paying attention to it because I'm just concerned with, I just want to move the load in, in any way that my body can make that happen or the best engagement strategies, right? So we don't have a great like TA pelvic floor engagement as we're, as we're trying to move this load just know that you, if you, if you're not, you, if you're not using those great strategies to really control pressure, well, then the pressure is just, it's not going to be controlled. And where is it going to go? It's going to go out through your abdominal wall and it's going to come down through your pelvic floor. So, so would you say ways to prevent a pelvic floor or, um, ways to prevent a like organ pelvic organ prolapse would be to like, learn how to control those pressure systems, kind of not push it. Like you said, it's kind of that constant downward pressure coughing 
sneezing, weightlifting, mm-hmm. moving a heavy load without having that control through your abdomen, those can cause that organ, that pelvic organ prolapse. Yeah. I think, I think the, the more aware that you are of how well you can manage pressure, then you're, then you aren't going to be doing those kind of repetitive, again, those repetitive things that are, that are creating this load and this demand down through your pelvic floor. And I think that's huge. I think a lot of people don't really hear about pelvic organ prolapse and it's not something that you really think of prenatally. Cause normally it doesn't really, I mean, I don't know if you see it throughout pregnancy, but I know postpartum is mainly postpartum. when yeah. people get pelvic organ prolapse and it can scare people really bad. Cause they're like, what yeah. is happening down there? Yes. What's like coming out of my vagina truly. <laughs> right. And, like, like, what am I feeling? Yes. And yeah. so I know that a lot of people are very much after they have their first baby and maybe deal with that or yeah. get very into how can I prevent this from happening again? Right. So of course, so immediately postpartum, right? Your, again, your pelvic floor muscles, the connective tissue in the pelvis itself has, it has, it has dilated, it has lengthened, it has stretched out. You've had, you know, some time of relaxing hormone coursing through your body, intentionally making your connective tissues, your ligaments. So it's not only um, our organs also have ligaments that attach them kind of to the, to the pelvic walls and things like that inside. So immediately postpartum and, you know, part of like that six week window, um, I'd argue even longer, there's, there may be some laxity in the support to those pelvic organs. So I always like to make sure that, that women know, you know, if you're immediately postpartum, you're still in like that six week window, maybe you're in that 12 week window. Um, and know that not having an optimal connective tissue support is kind of expected. So it's not, this is not like your forever, you know, you, you can, your support, your connective tissue, your ligamentous support, your muscular support, all of that is going to improve, right? You're essentially just came through like a major trauma. So there's, there's a lot of, there's going to be a lot of healing that takes place. So if you're feeling that, um, it's definitely not your ending point at all by any yeah. means, but, and I know they say, don't they say like pel- a lot of pelvic organ prolapse will kind of almost heal. I mean, I still mm-hmm. definitely recommend everybody to go get physical therapy for it, but don't they kind of say that they sometimes even just naturally like heal mm-hmm. themselves as I'm sure, like yeah. that, that relaxing kind of dissipates a little yeah. bit and those in your body just heals in general. Yep. And, you know, I even tell, tell women too, throughout the time that you're breastfeeding your pelvic floor muscle function might not be as optimal as it will after you're done breastfeeding and your hormones start to normalize and same thing for your connective tissue function. So, you know, there's, there's certainly, if you're breastfeeding for a year, you're, you might notice an improvement in your, in your pelvic prolapse, um, symptoms three or four months after you finish breastfeeding, you know, so now we're like, now you're 16 months out, you know? So that's a lot. I mean, there's a lot of bottom lines. There's a lot of time for healing for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I totally agree with all of that. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and just sharing so much information. I definitely learned a ton from you and I'm just, this is something that I've definitely just been super interested in. And like you said, I think it is becoming in general, just the whole topic of pelvic floor therapy. It's becoming extremely popular and we're blessed to live in an area like Charlotte, where there are tons of resources. And, um, I mean, even if you don't live in in a big city like this, there's so many resources online. Mm -hmm. I know right now, virtual practice is a huge thing. So, um, even seeking out like a virtual pelvic floor physical therapist can be extremely helpful, helpful 
And yeah, I just, I don't know, this like whole topic just really fascinates me because it's something that I really never thought of before. And it's crazy just how much, how much of like your everyday life plays into your pelvic floor. Yeah. Every day, right. If you can't control your urine, if you can't control, you know, your, your stool, your bowels, then you're, you're just not enjoying your life and it's women, it's men, it's kids. Mm -hmm. There are so many people suffering from all these different pelvic dysfunctions and being told like, well, you know, there's really not much we can do. Like we didn't even talk about like, from like a nutrition standpoint, like that's a whole nother hour long conversation on impact on the pelvic floor or pelvic function. Mm -hmm. Right. So there's so much, there's so much that, that can be helped with, again, just education. You know, a lot of what we do as pelvic PTs is education and just yeah. teaching. And I think people can almost think like, oh, well, you know, I'm pregnant. It's kind of normal to like pee when I sneeze or even I'm postpartum and it's normal to pee when I sneeze. And it might be common, but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily like normal to suffer with those things. I think that's a huge part of it. Like you said, yeah. The yeah. And, and right. And there's, there, there are certain small timeframes where you can say, well, you know, it, it is kind of normal. You're in your third right. trimester, you're 39 weeks and yeah, you, you might, cause there's just a pressure. To, there's just a pressure right. overload, you know, or same thing like those, those first six. Yeah, definitely six weeks. I wouldn't say that it's, I wouldn't consider normal past that six week time frame. You should have pretty good urinary control after that, but yeah, there's right. There's a lot of things that we have accepted as, well, this is just the way it's going to be, you know, and it doesn't have to be that way. So, right. I totally agree. Well, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. I really enjoyed this. Where can people find you and connect with you? Like Instagram, website, yeah. Facebook, whatever you want to share. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at all natural female and my website is www.allnaturalfemale.com. Um, and I do have a Facebook business page also. Same thing. All, they're all all natural female all natural female. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Easy to remember. Easy to yes. find you there. <laughs> hey, and I want to add another thing. If you're not in Charlotte, you can go to, um, Herman and or pelvic guru.com. And they both have directories. Um, pelvic guru is a worldwide directory and Herman and Wallace is a U.S. directory of pelvic health professionals. So yeah, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I will definitely put both of those um, links that you mentioned in the show notes of this podcast. That way people can kind of just scroll down and click and it'll take you right there. And I will also put Michelle's information on where to find her in the show notes to this podcast. So again, thank you so much. I really enjoyed this conversation. Yeah. Thanks for having me because I really do like to talk about this. <laughs> Thank you for listening to another episode of What The Bump. Make sure to follow us over on Instagram at WhatTheBumpCLT. Check out our website, WhatTheBumpCLT.com. Make sure to leave a review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or whatever platform you are listening on. And tune in every Monday at 9 a.m. for a new episode. Remember that this podcast is for educational purposes only. I will see you next week in the next episode.